Hey, do me a favor. Why don't you stand up? Let's read Romans 1, 1 to 7 together. Yeah, let's, let's all read from the screen. We'll do that together. Read with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remain standing as we pray. Lord, we love you and we confess the desperate need of our hearts to be fed by the word of God. We need daily bread and we ask for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. One of the ways that I believe that God wants to be very intimate with us today, one of the ways that I believe God wants to reveal himself to us is in our callings or in our vocation. And with a church that slants somewhat young, there's a lot of wrestling among you. And also among older folks, there's much wrestling about what is it that God has called me to do And what is it that God has called me to be? Is that so? Perhaps. Is there a little wrestling about your vocation, about your calling? (laughs) See a few smiles, a few winks. Perhaps you wonder, God, what have you put me on earth to do? And whether you're 15 or 55, as I've mentioned, I believe this is a pertinent topic. If you're more on the 15 or 25 kind of end of the spectrum, you're asking questions like, of all the options, which one should I choose? Or, how do I reconcile the fact that I need to somehow make a living, but here's my passion? And my passion doesn't usually earn money. What do I do with that? What if I don't like what I've spent years, and sometimes, some of you, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to train for? What if I don't like it? What if I get bored? What if it doesn't turn out? What if I miss God's call? How do I discern between the different streams that are coming my way? You know, the church stream says I should be making decisions this way. The guidance counselor says I should be making my decisions this way. My parents say, culture says, I should be making my decision this way. What do I do? Or if you're more on the 55-ish end of the spectrum, you may be in a time of reflection saying, why have I accomplished so little? Did I miss it 10, 15, 20 years ago? And on that line of thinking, I call to mind a story by J.R.R. Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. Tolkien, at the point of him writing um, The Lord of the Rings, came to a real impasse. And uh, one of the things that contributed to the impasse was that World War II was upon them in England, and he went through a very dark time. And by the way, you should know, I finally watched Lord of the Rings. Actually, we finished it. Yeah, yeah, amen. (laughs) So... (laughs) It was a total smokescreen. When I referred to Lord of the Rings from here up front, I just went to Wikipedia and found out 
with the, so forgive me. Perhaps I lost credibility as a speaker there, but actually it's great. Come to our faith group because we watched the last 90 minutes in faith group on Thursday. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Once we put the kids to bed, or at least our kids. So anyways, Tolkien was working on Lord of the Rings. He came to an impasse. And he needed to submit a story to a, a local publication. He wrote this story about a painter named Niggle. And Niggle just means to kind of whittle away, or as my band teacher would always say, stop noodling. It just means to, you know, stop playing or just kind of working without any real aim, just kind of, um, you know, pedaling around. And so in this story, there's a painter, Niggle. He, is, he has a vision of a leaf that then is joined to a tree, and the tree is in a big countryside, and he can see all the way to the snow-tipped mountains in the back. And as he's working on this painting, he just finds himself so into the detail of the leaf. And then his life goes on. He gets interrupted by different people and is called to serve them or be with them. And he knows that his time is coming, that he's going to, his life will end. And he is never able to get beyond this leaf. It's what he creates. Well, he goes on what storytellers have called the long journey. He dies, finds himself in heaven. And he's greeted by two voices, one called Justice. And Justice is a little bit intense and says, man, you kind of blew it. You missed this, this, and this in your life. But then another voice called Mercy says, come with me. And the voice, Mercy, shows him first his leaf, which that's all he finished in his worldly life, but then shows him the tree. Shows him the field, shows him the mountain that he had in mind all his life. And the pleasure that he had was that here in heaven, which lasted forever, which was more real than anything he did on earth, he had the pleasure of having that work completed. While on earth he was forgotten, and all that there was to show was a leaf on a canvas, in heaven it was complete. And I just share that story, and actually this story is just taken from Keller. Keller, uh, Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian has a great new book called uh, Every Good Endeavor. Uh, I'm, I'm borrowing it from one of our students here, Stephen Brault. And, um, yeah, thank you, Stephen. Uh, <clears throat> I just share that to say, gosh, when you're in the 40s, 50s, 60s, you wonder, is all I'm going to finish my leaf? What will I have to show? What is my legacy? Maybe if you find yourself in that category, you're wondering the same sorts of things. What was useful? What was good in my life? Am I leaving a legacy? But in... Paul's introduction to probably his most famous letter. There is just volumes about calling and vocation in there. And I believe that God, our Father, wants to comfort you, encourage you, and strengthen you as we pull out some wonderful things about calling. I may not be able to answer your question, you know, what is God calling me to do right now? But I know that God wants to speak to you today. And he wants to perhaps reframe the anxiety or reframe the discomfort, reframe the stress you feel because of this whole idea of calling, vocation, and what it is God has called you to do and be on this earth. Amen? Amen. Let's look at Romans 1 then again. If you're not there already, get there. If not, uh, we have it on the screen. And I have the 1984 NIV with me. I think this one's a little bit more updated, so sometimes we differ. Uh, but praise the Lord. You'll figure it out. So, let me just read through the verses again so we can get it in us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And just listen for how many times the word call is used. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was the descendant of David, 
and who through the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, was declared with power to be the Son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith or just the obedience of faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong, called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is just a typical letter beginning. And he says to all in Rome who are loved by God, because Paul hasn't met this crew yet. He says to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace. This Greek idea of grace, this uh, Hebrew idea of shalom, peace, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Relatively briefly, this is a huge topic, but I just want to pull out four things um, regarding calling. And in the Greek here, the, the word for calling, kletos, is, is three times uh, written. But then the NIV um, also has a fourth time that, that the word call is used, and I want to pull that out also. The first thing that I want to share about calling is this, and it's kind of the foundational thing, that your primary calling is to belong. Everyone say belong. Your primary calling is to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 1 verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. First, what is Paul doing here? Well, first, Paul is just establishing a relationship. He hasn't met this crew of believers in Rome. We know that Paul is probably writing in the winter of 57, 58 AD. Of about, after about 20 years of missionary service. He, he has his eyes on Spain. And so he, he's writing to this crew because he knows he's going to go back to Jerusalem to finish off some business there. And then he wants to go to preach the gospel in Spain. And it sounds like he's probably wanting to connect with the Romans, stop there on the way, and get their support. Their, their uh, brotherly support, but also their financial support, most likely. So that's kind of what's going on here as he is, is saying to them, hey, you guys belong to Jesus just like I do. And the fact that he's articulating this like, hey, you guys belong to Jesus Christ just like me. It's huge. He's just building a relationship. But what do I feel like God wants to speak to us today out of that? You know, the foundation, if, if the first is you're processing, you're calling, saying, God, what am I to do here? How do I spend the next 30, 50, 10 years of life that I've left? <clears throat> Knowing that you belong to Jesus Christ, it really is a game changer to use an overused word. It's a game changer because you don't work as the world works, right? The world works through you earning or wants you to earn that belonging. You know, they want, the, the world would have you work to earn your belonging, to have yourself validated by your status or achievement. That's how the world works. But you know what the great thing is? Because you belong to Jesus Christ, because you belong, your number one calling is to belong. There's a whole series of anxieties that you don't need to walk in if you don't want to. You belong to him. Your call is to serve and love. And whatever God gives you to do, you're doing it to be a value-added person, whatever industry or thing that God calls you to do. You're already included. You already belong. You're not trying to earn anything. I had a great time just this last Wednesday. You know, at Gordon College, they were in kind of a revival called Deep Faith. I was invited by the president, Dr. Lindsay, who's just a year older than me and also a fellow graduate of Baylor, uh, to be at this prayer breakfast. Several pastors from the area were there. And as, as fate, the Lord, God, would have it, I sat next to President Lindsay's wife, Rebecca. 
And Rebecca and I actually both graduated Baylor the same year. We just, we just hadn't met yet, so we didn't know that. So she and I start to go through the whole memory lane thing, and we start to, oh, do you remember this person, this person? You know, do you know this? Oh, they're good friends. Great. And I need to tell you something about myself. I was on the Merit Scholars floor in the dorm at Baylor, but I was not a Merit Scholar, okay? <laughs> I... I requested to be there because I just wanted to sleep. And I knew it was like a 24-hour quiet place. My, big, my biggest anxiety going to college was I'll never sleep and I'll get really sick and I'll just die. Because I'm definitely, I'm a seven-hour person. If I don't get seven hours of sleep, I, I just get sick. So anyways, but Rebecca and I, Rebecca Lindsay, I started to go through uh, people we knew. And of course, two people on my floor, I, you know, we, we mentioned, and one of them, great guy. He's, a past, he's got his PhD. He's written a few books, and he's a pastor of a giant church in Houston. Another guy was um, quickly after college, I remember, had become the chief of staff of the president of uh, Baylor University, and now he's about to run for office in, in Oklahoma, his native state. And um, as we're just going through these things, and I'm looking, of course, at the president, who's only a year old. I mean, he's president of a college. And my point is this, is that if I hadn't worked out already that my primary thing is to belong in my calling, that I belong to Jesus Christ, I could have gone down that fruitless road of comparison. But instead, what keeps me and what's going to keep you bearing fruit is knowing that we belong to Jesus Christ. He's the boss. He's the one who's called us. He appoints us. We obey him. And whatever God gives us to do, we do. Amen? Maybe another quick illustration. Uh, uh, Beth mentioned that Sarah Booth and Josh Booth are away. They're actually in the Bahamas right now. Poor them. But Josh, <laughs> Josh gave me a wonderful book for Christmas. He gave me a book called Beyond Glory. How's that for title? Not just glory, beyond glory. <clears throat> and it's just, <laughs> it's just a collection of uh, stories of a bunch of Medal of Honor winners, or they would say recipients. There's no Medal of Honor person who decides that he's a winner. The Medal of Honor is the highest award that the United States gives for valor in battle to people in armed services. And um, it just, you know, as you read kind of interview after interview with these, with these uh, I think they're all men, um, none of them said, I want to join the army and I want to make sure I'm a Medal of Honor winner. You know, they all just happen to be in certain places at certain times. And because they'd already resolved to whom they belonged and to what they belonged, in other words, they had already resolved, I belong to this cause where I, where I do want to lay down my life for the sake of freedom in the world. Or, a lot of them, I'm just motivated to get me and my buddies out of here. I just belong to that cause. Because that was settled, they found themselves doing very heroic things. And one right here in Concord, Mass., his name is Hudner, Thomas Hudner, Jr. On December 4th, 1950, he would do action that would earn this Medal of Honor, and he was a uh, Navy pilot, and his, his leader, a, an African-American Navy pilot, very rare in those days, went down over uh, Korea. And he just thought to himself, he thought, gosh, he's gone. But then he saw, he saw his fellow pilot who had crash-landed, uh, waving kind of a white, uh, his scarf, I guess. And he said, well, what are we going to do? I'm going to go down. And really, not the smartest thing to do, but he manages to crash-land his own Corsair, in the same vicinity, risking enemy fire to get to his, his fallen comrade. A rescue helicopter would come, and sadly, they, they were just unable to get, um, his name is uh, Jesse Leroy Brown, and there's actually a book about him, the, the pilot who went down first, the African-American guy. They were unable to free his legs from the, um, from the crashed aircraft, his aircraft, and he actually died there. But the fact that uh, uh, Hudner 
had gone, you know, risking his own plane and had taken that risk, that's what earned him the Medal of Honor. My whole point is this. Hudner didn't enter the battle saying, I better win a Medal of Honor. He went in saying, I believe in the cause, and for a downed fellow soldier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. And so my point there is, he knew what he belonged to. You and I, we know to whom we belong. And then, honestly, come what may, you know, it's all in the Lord's hands. Amen? So our first call is to belong. Everyone say belong. Okay, second thing. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says this. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Everyone say saints. Okay, Paul's such a good pastor here. He's saying, guess what? You guys are also, you're loved by God and you're called to be saints. Saints means holy ones, okay? Saints means holy ones. And as you and I know, we are not holy by our own measure, by our own standard. But the great gift of the gospel is that God shares his righteousness with us. The righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ is given to us as a gift and we receive it. So the second thing I say about your calling is you are called to holiness. Okay, if you're following along on our green sheet, you are called to holiness. Everyone say holiness. Okay, you may not feel it today. Maybe you're aware of your own sin, but you are called to holiness. And so I guess what that means in the whole vocational thing is it means where you are now. Are you walking in holiness? That's my question for you. I know you're looking for a hundred other doors to open, but I believe the challenge from God from this is, by his love, you are called to be holy. Where you are now, are you walking ethically? Whatever God has given you to do now, are you doing so in the fear of the Lord, with the desire to serve him and love him, understanding that it's his holiness that's working in you? The kingdom principle is that we are faithful in little before God gives us more. But please hear the heart of God. The heart of God is, listen, there's, in Ephesians 1, God calls us co Heirs with Christ. We are going to rule with Christ. God wants to give us increasing responsibility. He wants to give you increasing weight in your role from here into eternity. So it's not like God's holding back from you. He's wanting to release to you more responsibility. The issue is, are we walking in holiness? Are we walking in his holiness? What he's purchased for us in Jesus. Amen. So we're called to belong to God and we are called to holiness first. Now we get into some of the specifics that I think you perhaps are more aware of in the day to day. And so I want to highlight from verse one and from the first part of verse five. So read with me verse one. Paul, a servant, a doulos. Oh, yeah, you can read. You want to read with me? Okay, that's good. Okay, literally. Good. Let's let's read out loud. Can we just insert the word slave for servant, though? Because that's what it actually means. Says servant, you guys say slave. Okay, here we go. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Pause. And let's just read the first part of verse 5. Find the little 5 there? Okay. Through him, we received grace and apostleship. Done. Okay. I want to go just a little bit phrase by phrase here. First, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Doulos is the word in Greek. How would you, how would I, and believe me, I'm preaching to me first. How would I treat my vocation differently if I viewed it as how I've been called by God to serve Jesus Christ himself? In an earlier letter, Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
Listen, it matters that you're an analyst. It matters that you're a nurse, that you're a VP of operations. It matters that you're a mom. It matters that you're a dad. It matters that you're a fundraiser, a social worker, a teacher. It matters. And you're going to get inheritance for how you discharge the duties that God has given you. Amen? There you go. That was a good one. Come on. Okay. So, Lord, help us. Let us all, whatever God's given us to do right now, let it be. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I do what he says. He's the master. I'm not. Thank you. The other change, it just it makes you more thankful. Thank you, God. This is what you give me to do right now. Amen. Called to be an apostle. So Paul, of course, is just establishing his credentials with these people who don't know him. Actually, in Rome, there are probably rumors circulating about him. Some people thought he was a total goofball, a whack job, not legit. Other people really enjoyed who he was. Um, and the reason they probably enjoyed him is because at this time when Paul was writing, actually, the, the church in Rome had gone through some really interesting things. Um, so the Roman authorities were kind of ticked off because the Jews, a lot of crazy stuff was happening. And it was all had to do with because Jesus was coming on the scene. And so what, what the emperor did was he just said, all you Jews, get out of Rome. He, he didn't realize that it was the, the, the Christians that were kind of causing the ruckus. So he says, all you Jews, leave. So actually, the Jews leave. And um, it's the, so what happens is the Roman church becomes a very Gentile church. And then that decree gets kind of rescinded and the Jews come back and they're kind of wrestling. For those of you who know Romans, this whole thing about Jews and Gentiles has to do with that fact that the church in Rome had, 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 Roman, or had Gentile leadership come up in it. And um, anyways, I just share some of that to say that Paul, with a mixed crowd, with a lot of feelings going on there of who's in and who's out, is saying, look... I'm a servant of Christ, and I've been called to, to be an apostle. Uh, let's just do that right now. Called to be an apostle. And he surely is referring to that incredible experience that we read about in Acts 9 in Damascus. On the road to Damascus, we got really sovereignly called by God. He knocked off a horse. Acts 9, check it out. So called. That's where we see this Greek word, kletos, called. And what it means is it does mean a calling to fulfill a divine office or just a job from God. But it also means an invitation. The word kletos also means an invitation. So everyone say invitation. Okay, I think we have it on your sheet there that God gives you grace. And he does it by giving you specific invitations. So your calling will often come in the form of invitations from God. The day before my junior year of college in 1993, I remember fretting. <clears throat> I really enjoyed aviation. I had my private pilot license, but I saw that if I kept going down, if I kept going down that road, I would, the mountains of debt before me were just astronomical. And so I had an invitation from God. The invitation from God is, will you lay down this, uh, this career path in order to obey me kind of in the financial realm? And so I chose in that moment, I remember because the Texas August heat was bearing down. I'm in an apartment with the central air, kind of works, but doesn't, kind of sweating there. And I'd sweated because I'd gone back and forth between this building. This is before they could do things online. So you had to go from building to building to register and all this. And I was like, a mop. I remember thinking, God, oh, it's too complex. Too complex. And I don't want to get in mountains of debt. But Jesus invited me. He invited me to obey me financially and watch what I'll do with your vocation. It was an invitation. A few years later, after I'd finished college, I was teaching middle school English at a private Christian school. I sought the Lord one evening. I wanted to be like Jesus. Before Jesus 
uh, chose his disciples. He prayed all night. I tried to pray all night. I lasted till 2 a.m. But I just said, Lord, here, you know, there's this team going to Boston to plant a church. Should I go? I feel like the invitation from God was this. It was, you know what, Neil? I have lots of people who will teach in Christian schools. I don't have too many people who will plant a church. Will you go? Jesus didn't force my hand, but he just gave me an invitation. And also, thirdly, and you've, a lot of you have heard this ad nauseum, what, in what would turn out my, to be my last year in te- of teaching, 2006, 2007, I had an invitation from God. It came through the scriptures, Luke's story of where Jesus invites the disciples to feed the 5,000. They said, what are we going to do? We don't have anything. He says, precisely, you know. It's the same kind of invitation to me. I was getting invited to plant a church. I said, Lord, I don't have the resources. And Jesus says, yep, you got it. Let's plant a church. So God will often give invitations to you. They don't have to be as spiritual or dramatic as that, perhaps. They're very much could be through your affinity. You don't mind blood and you like working with people. God's telling you to be a nurse. Praise the Lord, you know. You like numbers. You like the insurance world. God's calling you to be an actuary. Amen. We need God-fearing actuarial people in the name of Jesus. I'm just saying God will give you an invitation. And a couple of thoughts about that. First, by this next little expression, set apart for the gospel of God. In English, we say the gospel of God. And it doesn't mean the gospel about God. But more literally, it means it's God's gospel, meaning it's God's idea. This whole thing that then he'll go to, to explain, right? That the gospel of God, God's idea is that he would send Jesus to us so we could be forgiven of our sins. It's all his idea. And what I want to communicate to you is, whatever your vocation is, and whether you come to it very dramatically or very matter-of-factly, it's God's idea. Things change when you realize that it's God's idea. It means he's got your back. He's going to defend you. He's going to protect you. It's his idea. Amen? So if you're sitting there cutting hair at a salon, it's God's idea. And you've got to receive it as God's idea. If you're waiting tables at Legal Seafood, that's God's idea. And no matter what hardships are there, Gabe, it's God's idea. Amen? Come on. Now, I want to add to that, I would just say, it doesn't mean that there's a bullseye that you need to hit. Like, oh no, what is God's idea for my life? I must be a fill in the blank, you know? There's a journey there and God's with you on the journey. And I say, maybe the best advice I could give you is as you're making decisions about what should I do, please involve other people. Some of the best help I've received is getting counsel from people who know me and people who I know are unbiased towards what my, you know, the decision is going to be. It's just good to get counsel. In the same vein of the fact that it's all God's grace, I just want to look at the beginning part of five again. It says this, through him we received grace and apostleship. Through him, we received grace and apostleship. And I think that, um, yeah, actually, the, at least the 1984 NIV that I have says, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship. And I love this. Grace and apostleship. In other words, Paul had received a very specific call to be an apostle. That is a sent one, a messenger, someone who with great vigor would pioneer something. Those are some of the nuances of the word apostle. But you know, Paul would be the first one to say that, did he deserve to be an apostle? Absolutely not. He received grace and a specific call. You are, I don't know, you're a manager, right? And Elizabeth's a manager. God's given her grace 
and the grace to be a manager. In other words, God's grace has allowed her the position that, that she is. I see my, my aunt-in-law here. She's a director of phys ed at a whole school system, health and phys ed. God gives her grace and the specific gifting to, to lead students, right? It's grace and the specific. For sure, I can tell you, and this isn't false humility, I don't deserve to be up here sharing God's word with you. But God, in this moment, has given me grace and a little pastoral thing to share some of the word. And again, that's a game changer. When you're considering your calling, you just realize God's given me the grace to do it and the specific gift to do it. And it's all for his glory, right? It's for him and his name's sake. You've got to remember that too. It's for his glory. It's for his name's sake that he gives you the gift. Amen? Okay, so God gives you grace and he'll give you specific invitations. So your calling is to belong. Your calling is to be holy. And your calling is to respond to the grace that God gives you as he gives you specific invitations. And finally, with um, the end of five there, the fourth thing I want to say is this. Uh, let's indeed read this all together. Let's read all of verse five together. I'm, I'm concerned about the second half. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. I see. Okay. They put the name's sake on that side there. The fourth thing is, in your calling, no matter what you do, we are all called to evangelism. Okay? And just, if you can, I didn't hear an amen on that one. Okay. Right? Before we get a little nervous about the word. And before you have all these pictures about what that should or shouldn't look like. And honestly, that'd be a great reason to read. If you want to read, if you want more insight on what it means to be a Christian in the world and in your workplace, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, which it's cited there on your green sheet, I highly recommend it. That's a discussion for another time. But you are called to some form of evangelism at your work. And I just want to share again, this is just me. If you can just glean a little bit from what I'm getting from church history, it's this. It's um, a great book by Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity. It says, it gives these figures. In AD 40, there were 1,000 Christians on planet Earth. 0.0017% of the population. I'll just stop right there. Isn't that encouraging when we saw the North Africa figures? I think, praise God, God can do anything, you know? 300 years later, 310 years later, in AD 350... There were uh, 33 million Christians representing 56.5% of the world population. How did that happen? Did we have a great Facebook and Twitter campaign moving on the earth then? I don't think so. It's because person to person, and as people traveled, as they went about their business, the life that they had in them, they shared, and they shared the story of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's a little different now because it was fresh then. And now we're in a postmodern and clearly becoming, at least in this, in North America, post-Christian context. It's a little different, but I believe with all my heart, the way this thing's going to work is by person to person. And I guarantee that whatever domain you're in, there are people who need to hear about the life that you have in you. Today, the figures are this. Of the 6.93 billion people on the planet, 2.87 billion, or 41.5% people, are in unreached people groups. Now, add to that figure your friends who don't know the Lord. Because, you know, as far as, it, as, far as the you know, Joshua Project and the guys who do the stats say, we're a reached people group. You know, if people want Jesus in Massachusetts and in the United States, there is a place they can find it. 
But my point is this. There's a whole bunch of people who don't know the Lord, and it's going to be life on life, person to person, that we see this thing explode once again. Amen? I want to just share a little quick story, too. One of the uh, a more cumbersome things to read, but really fun to read, is um, a, an address by a guy named Gregory. He became known as Gregory the Wonder Worker because I think he did a lot of miracles. Although, it's actually, we don't have a whole lot written about him except what I'm about to share. He was a bishop in the church, so he's a leader of a local congregation back in the day, the day being 200s AD. And in, um, oh, I've just forgotten exactly where, somewhere in to, um, uh, present day Israel or Turkey. And um, he shares in this address how he came to know the Lord. And how he came to know the Lord was... He was on his way with his brother from somewhere south up through present-day Israel, headed towards Beirut in present-day Lebanon. And he was going to go learn rhetoric. He was the son of a, of a lawyer, and he was going to learn his dad's trade to be a lawyer and a, and a rhetorician, speaker. But he, as they're passing through Caesarea, which is modern-day Israel on the coast, they were intrigued by a, a great philosopher named Origen. Origen, another one of the great fathers of our church. And they get pulled into Origen's orbit, so to speak. They listen to him speak. And Origen, um, as, as Gregory will describe it, just loved Gregory. Origen persuaded Gregory about the gospel. And over just a, over a, a period of time, because Origen was brilliant and he was so persuasive, but also because of his great love and his great care with Gregory and his brother, eventually Gregory, Gregory became a follower of Jesus. And I just love this story because it just... It just gives me, you know why I love it? Because it gives me a framework for evangelism that I can understand, that I can do. I might not be the best street corner guy. I might not be the best Twitterer of all things Jesus, you know? But what I can do is I can love people, and I can see where they're at, and I can try to share with them how the gospel comes to bear in their lives. I can do that. Can you? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but God's got a way for you. And, and we are all called. <laughs> we are all called. To call Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. We are all called to bring people to obedience because of believing in Jesus. Amen? All right. So, my question for you today is, are you trusting God with your vocation? Do you trust him with your calling? If you're incredibly discontent, or if you're incredibly on monster.com all the time, praise the Lord. Just just make sure God's in it. And... um, uh, you know, the thing I want to ask is, which one of these four areas of calling is God speaking to you about right now? Is it the belonging part? You just need to resettle the fact that you are called by God and to belong to him. Is it the holiness part? Do you know that you need to check on your ethics in your current situation? Is it the receiving grace for a specific vocation? God wants to speak to you about that. Or is it on the evangelism part? Maybe you feel like there's coworkers that you know are just waiting to hear about the Lord and need to know somehow, and you just need to kind of figure out how to do that with the Lord. Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate source of your calling. The source of your calling, of your vocation, is Jesus Christ himself, and he wants to be tender to you. He wants to be kind to you. He desires to give you invitations. He desires to make you content, whatever he's called you to do or be. Amen. Why don't you guys stand up? Jenna, come on up. Get the worship team. And I want to say with Paul in this thing about vocation, grace to you and peace. Okay, grace 
unmerited favor and power to do his will. And I want to say peace, shalom. God wants, to be a, God wants you to have a fullness of his grace as you um, are fullness of his life. Um, is what God wants to give you in your calling. And it's okay to earn a living too. <laughs> he knows, he knows, he knows. He knows the cost of living in the North Shore. It's insane. Amen. Why don't you guys just open up your hands like this. Let's just receive from the Lord for a moment. Let's receive grace and peace. Lord, thank you that you delight to call us to yourself. And thank you that you delight to empower us with very specific things to do and to be. So that like Adam and Eve in the garden, we are culture makers. Father, you've given us the raw goods. You've given us the supplies that we need. And you invite us in such a sweet, tender way to co-labor with you. Adam and Eve needed to tend to the garden. It wasn't just going to grow on its own. And so likewise, God, you're always inviting us to make culture. You're inviting us to cultivate things. And thank you that there's no distinction, as there has been, especially in our Greek-influenced thinking, there isn't distinction between manual labor and, you know, scholarly or academic labor. It's all valuable and it's all needed because all of it helps helps people. All of it gives glory to God. All of it makes the earth a good place to be and all of it helps us be pointed towards heaven. So Holy Spirit, I just ask for your counsel this morning. As people are longing for maybe to be redirected in vocation, As people ask the question, why am I here? What should I do? Here's a thousand options. I need need the next step. As different ones may have regret or remorse. Why did I choose this? Or it's not working out. Or will I even have any sort of legacy to speak of that's valuable to humankind? I pray, Holy Spirit, bring comfort, bring redirection, and bring truth. We receive by faith that the foundation of our calling is to belong to Jesus Christ. And that is the game changer. We belong to you, Lord. We belong to you. That really makes everything better. That's what calms our anxiety. That's what distills our fears as we belong to Jesus Christ. And you will, in your way, maximize our lives for your glory. Lord, be our friend in our vocational journeys. Be our friend. Be a friend to the moms. I pray that right now. Be a friend to the moms, the housewives, who especially feel the, can feel the sting of having laid down a work vocation for their family. Be with them. Be with those who don't have a job right now. I really pray that you'd open doors that no man can shut so that people can be employed gainfully, happily, and able to make a living. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. Amen. 
We're going to take the last few minutes together just to worship the Lord. So you feel free just to worship him. We'll have folks from our faith group leaders and from a prayer team up here. If you want prayer, uh, please feel free to come on down to the carpets. And if for some reason you're not attended to, you can just be bold and say, hey, come and pray for me. Grab someone that has a little prayer. um, What are those things called? Lanyards. Little prayer lanyard. Grab them. Amen.